Hey everyone, this is Paul Siegel, and you're listening to Wandering DMs. Wandering DMs comes to you live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern, and you can catch us on twitch.tv slash wanderingdms, or youtube.com slash wanderingdms slash live. And now, on with the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Wandering DMs. I'm Paul. And I'm Dan. And today we're talking about haunted houses. Whether they're inhabited by ghosts or goblins or ghouls, we're going to look back at the history of haunted houses in D&D and see what works well and what doesn't on this special Halloween episode of Wandering DMs, Paul. (laughs) Thanks, Dan. (laughs) Indeed, indeed. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Um, uh, Dan, I've totally forgotten what I was supposed to tell everybody. Um, completely blank well, out of my well, mind. I feel like people Please. should know about the fact that, yeah, go ahead. No, I think you got it now, right? <laughs> uh, before we get into it, everyone, please remember to like, follow, and subscribe. And uh, don't forget that we will, after the show, be hosting an after-party chat on our private Discord server, which you can get access to by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash wanderingdms. So you know, much. Paul, some, yeah. some of us get creeped out on Halloween. We're just, we're scattered because of the, the creepy, spooky things that are going on. Yeah. Is, is that what it is? Is that what it is? I, I, I think maybe it's, maybe it's possibly sometimes our co-host says, I'm going to cue you by saying this thing and then doesn't say that thing at all. Well, I can't, I don't want, I don't want. <laughs> Welcome, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Boom! <laughs> All right. Oh man. Oh. So haunted houses. A, and uh, yeah, <laughs> let's get into it. Let's get into it. What a great uh, idea! There are. There are. Uh, you know, when when we were talking about doing this uh, this episode, we talked about maybe focusing in on a specific module. Um, there are a lot, right? There are many adventures, many D and D adventures across uh, across the ages here that try to focus in on this trope of the haunted house, right? It's a classic. Um, but I also, the thing I wanted to do is like maybe take it at a higher level and kind of breeze through a bunch of them quickly because I think that there's, my, my thesis is that there's a disconnect there. That the problem is, on the one hand, all the tropes of haunted houses usually have to do with like really scary ghosts or poltergeists or whatever that you have no ability to affect whatsoever. Whereas D&D is all about monsters with hit dice that I can attack and kill and get experience points and treasure from. And like, mm, those, those things don't quite fit, right? They don't, they seem a little at odds to me. There's clearly a bit of a uh, round peg in a square hole happening that, 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 that there's clearly a, a little bit of um, attention between exactly mm-hmm. those things that you're out, Paul. I think that's a great point. Um, and uh, specifically how ghosts which is and obviously that's the the customary thing in connection with a haunted house is you know some people right. just call them ghost houses actually um and the, the how how D deals with ghosts quote unquote has been a difficult uh, prickly issue over the years and which has caused some kind of amusing uh monster write-ups as a matter of fact so i think that's a really i actually think that's a really good thing to uh to dig into as a matter of fact Great. um Great. There is a there, there is a ghost. There is a ghost monster in D and D, 
Um, and it's one of the, yeah, so here it is. Awesome. So here it is in first edition. And it's basically, there was a write-up for original D&D. &D. In um, 1975, it appeared in uh, the, the Strategic Review number three, which was the precursor to Dragon Magazine. Very, very similar to what shows up here in first edition. And it's one of the weirdest, it's one of the weirdest monster write-ups in all of classic D&D, is that, you know, honestly, Paul, as you would expect, it is in fact mostly immune to anything that the players can do, as a matter of fact. It has, mm -hmm. you know, 10 hit dice, which is pretty high, but it's normally the, it's so weird. It's normally on the ethereal plane, and as long as it's on the ethereal plane, it's completely immune to all weapons and all spells. The end, period. Players cannot affect it whatsoever. And Great. it doesn't do damage like a normal monster. It does aging. So it does 10 years aging if you look at it, and 10 to 40 if it touches you. And then it also has a magic jar attack to possess one of the players. And that's what it does. And it's so... Fascinating. Right? And it, it's, yeah. it's, so, it, so it's completely outside the whole, like... The armor doesn't work like normal and the damage doesn't work like normal and how you fight it doesn't work like normal and it's completely almost outside normal D&D mechanics. Have you ever actually run one of these by the book uh, against players? Like, oh, ghost, let me flip open my monster manual through the ghost entry and run it. <laughs> I, I, have, I have not. I've Every time I look at this, it bothers me, frankly. And what a great illustration, of course. It bothers me to the extent that um, when I do my, you know, uh, mechanical work that I call the arena monster metrics program to try to come up with reasonable, you can call them challenge ratings if you want to for original D and D it's the one thing I left out. Like I, it's a one single thing that was written up for original D and D that I entirely left out. Cause frankly, I just could not figure out how to work. I'd have to make up entirely brand new mechanics for aging and magic jar and possession and etherealness. Yeah. And all that stuff, just <laughs> this one monster. And yeah. so it's, it, it is actually the one single thing that was officially written up in original D&D that I left out of my monster database entirely because I just can't deal with it. Which, and, and it seems to me like all these things are ultimately little, little hints, like working within the system to hint at the fact that these are not standard monsters, that you're not supposed to just rank up and fight these things, that this is more of a plot device than, than a monster. I that's, almost that's how I feel, yeah, yeah, yeah. I almost feel like, and, and sometimes we talk about this in terms of like, uh, like the slimes episode, right? There was there was a lot of comments about maybe this just should have been left as a, a trap, environmental hazard, and not a monster like it was originally, and maybe they should have just had a section of like you can put in, you know, spirits or ghosts or something like that that are immune to player attacks and do what you want because this. It's just super weird set of mechanics. Uh, and some yeah. of the people right now are pointing out and then having, you know, having um, boxed out the term ghost in D&D &D, and these things still exist kind of sort of in the same form in fifth edition, which honestly kind of surprised me a little bit. Um, having mm -hmm. boxed out the term, the, the adventure writers, when they wanted something like you're thinking about, Paul, had to turn to this, it turns into this uh, just enormous explosion of other monsters by a whole bunch of other names. And you have in different adventures, you've got 
phantoms and spirits and haunts and this and that and the other thing at different levels in an attempt to get around this 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 fact that the word ghost has been used up for this almost entirely unusable monster to be perfectly frank right 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 and, and that's why i feel like for your higher level undead i feel like that's more often what you see getting used right just you, you, your specters and your shadows and your whites and your wraiths like like all these things that are like mm, okay this is an undead you know but it's you know, a, a, an approachable onset, if you will, a, a monster at least that can be fought and beaten. Whereas the ghost, yeah, is this kind of weird oddity. Um, let's let's talk about how they're used, or or generally, maybe not ghosts specifically, but let's let's dig into some of the modules, shall we? Awesome. Um, and I feel like we should start with, and and this is going to be a little awkward for us, Dan, because I think neither you nor I have ever run this module, but I think we should start with Tegel Manor. Because that is the classic, right? That's the one that everyone seems to think about. Um, and as you mentioned, it even says that it's a haunted house right on the cover, um, written on the tin. And this is probably the earliest one we're seeing, right? One of the one of the earliest D and D modules ever, right? I, I think that's a I, I think that's a good call all around, Paul. To my understanding, this is one of the earliest published uh, dungeons for any role playing game. As a matter of fact. Uh, published in 1977, written by Bob Bledsoe, published by Judges Guild. And, yep, those are the first three words. It's The Haunted House <laughs> in the pitch on the cover there. The Haunted House for your campaign yep. there. Um, and um, so it seems like it was kind of, uh, you know, it was kind of an obvious thing to do. If uh, if you're not going to make a quote-unquote dungeon specifically, Haunted House was a pretty obvious thing to uh, to add to D&D, and it came in pretty early like that, yeah. Have you have you read this one, Dan? Do you know if it actually features ghosts or or what specific? Is there a, a main villain in this in this module? And if so, what is it? So I so I picked up. I have. I, I'll confess, I have not run Tegel Manor, but I picked up a copy mm -hmm. in 1989, um, and I've had it for a long time, and I've read through the whole thing, and I'm always enticed. Like it, it seems interesting to me, and yeah, there are. There's so, okay, the main thing is that it's enormous. All right, the, the main thing is that it's, so, <laughs> it's, it's, it's practically a mega dungeon in just one level. And you can see the suggestion of the overall map on, the, on just the cover there. Uh, by my yep. count, just the ground floor has approximately 200 areas in it. And uh, it goes on and on and on and on and on and on. It's got a wandering monster table that's 100 things long. It's a percentile dice with one pip each. And the whole thing is all undead. The, every, every single room is every single type of undead you can possibly think of. Skeletons, whites, wraiths, vampires, ghouls, everything. Um, plus, you know, just hundreds and hundreds of inexplicable, tricky illusions and skulls rolling on the floor and a hundred paint, you know, uh, possessed paintings on the walls and ghostly this and ghostly that. And so everything from both actual mechanical monsters like specters and vampires are in there. Um, and plus, you know, inexplicable phantoms and illusions that you can't interact with are also in there. So it completely runs the whole gamut from end to end. And then uh, at the, at the, at the, in addition, and then there's towers up above and there's four dungeon levels below. And there is the, uh, the worst possible undead is in the dungeon, and there's an evil artifact as well. So, so, so basically, every single thing you can possibly think of, as far as 
undead or evils. And, and uh, Gottfried is reminding us that there's also werewolves and lycanthropes in there. It's all there. Yep. Yep. Excellent. 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 Um, now, so, so like you, I, I, mm -hmm. yeah, sorry, go on. Uh, if you get a chance, you might want to pull up. I put, I got, I put one interior page from Tegel Manor in the images. And I feel it might be interesting to see a true, a truly old school module. Um, uh, that, that's, the from, that's the, that's salt marsh. Um, so there's a, there's a page with um, just text. Oh, it's just text. You said a map, so I was looking yep. for a map. Okay. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yep. So there's an interior page oh. of uh, yep. Tegel Manor, and you can see that the areas, and this is how you'd write them initially, the areas are very curt. They're about two or three lines long, and each of them have a monster and a treasure and maybe one single sentence about something weird in the area. And it goes, and so this one single page has got 12 areas on it, and it just goes on and on and on and on and on like this, with very little art, and that's what uh, a D and D adventure looked like initially. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's been very reminiscent to me of um, Palace of the Vampire Queen, which um, maybe is another one you could call a you call that a haunted house. Maybe Vampire Queen. I don't know. <laughs> you know, the 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 module I go to immediately that I have run a couple of times now and 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 quite love is actually another uh, Judges Guild module called uh, House on Hangman's Hill. My copy here, um, which is from 1981. Uh, also, in, it's very hard to see in the little box text, but it does say uh, tables and guidelines for use with AD and D in this haunted house adventure. Boo! Exclamation <laughs> point. <laughs> uh, and the funny thing is, uh, so this is this is by um, uh, John Matson and uh, printed in 81. And in the introduction, he specifically mentions. Eagle Manor says that, uh, you know, since since developed, that, that this module has been around for a while. He claims that he had to adapt it to AD&D, presumably from original Dungeons and Dragons. Mm -hmm. um, and that since that time, I've discovered uh, on exception to this, uh, namely Teagle Manor, also published by Judges Guild. Uh, sorry, he says, um, or to create this scenario in reaction to the curious lack of what seemed an obvious type of AD&D module on the market, the traditional haunted house. Interesting. Interesting. Curious lack of this classic, according to him in 1981. Um, but anyway, then goes on to say how this is still a favorite adventure. Uh, I, I played this at a convention once, and I've run it a couple of times. I think, actually, you played it once in the time that I ran it. Um, yeah. Maybe, maybe you don't remember that. But um, it's uh, I've definitely put some hours into this thing, mostly around cleaning up the map. So, so here I, I couldn't find a good scan of it, but here's here's the map that comes in the in the booklet, which has an unfortunate quality of one having this weird red and blue inked artwork in the background that's kind of distracting yeah. and difficult to deal with. Which is throughout. Yeah. Let me tell you, is throughout the text, unfortunately, as well. I don't understand why that choice was made. <laughs> and and. The, the actual line work of the map does not line up with the grid underneath it. Like, clearly somebody overlaid the map on top of the grid somehow using some 1981 technology, and it doesn't fit, and it's all wonky and actually very difficult. So so, so I ended up completely re redrawing the map from scratch myself. Um, and um, 
you know, the funny thing is part of the reason I did that is the way it was presented to me the first time I ran it, which is the way I continue to run it, which was this notion, and I can't find this in the text, so I think this is just interpretation by the GM who ran it for me the first time I played, which was that this weird, mysterious house is actually not there 364 days of the year. That it's just like an empty foundation, house is long gone, weird things happen there, but one night in the year, it reappears. And, um, and to that end, uh, what 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 that GM did, and what I continue to do is, I I allow my players. If you want to scope it out, you're certainly welcome to. And I give them this handout, and I go, "Here you go. <laughs> That's the foundation. That's what's there." And like, and then and then I hand this. And the nice thing is that this is on some gridded paper, so that then like this is kind of like here's a starting point for you to draw your map. And it's a nice kind of handholdy way to say we're going to get into mapping. Here you go. Nice. Nice. I like yeah. that a lot. I, I enjoy I enjoyed that quite a bit. Um just from you know. But uh anyway, uh that's that's a bit of a tangent. Um I'm leafing through the, the, the text here um and trying to find the, the main villain. Uh and it appears to be there's a room that says it appears to be the master's chambers. So I'm guessing this is our main villain. And uh he's a white. Re- what? Really? Yeah. Okay. He's white. Now it's interesting because so um, there's, there's a little bit of chat in the uh, the commentary right now. I think um, uh, Gottfried was saying, "Boy, I'd like to run Ravenloft, but it's such a high level. Uh, I'd like some way of scaling it down for lower level characters. So maybe this here provides an opportunity for a Halloweeny haunted house that's that's suitable for lower lower level characters is what I'm saying. So. I, I feel I feel I feel like I've run this for mid levels. Uh, I'm trying to find out if there's anything in the text about what level it's actually meant to be run for. Of course, uh, that does not seem to be apparent. No, no that such guidance. That itself was a later. <laughs> yeah, that itself was a later uh, invention of marking what the level of an adventure was for. Like, like I'm thinking for Tegel Manor and all over just the first level. I mean, there are places where there's skeletons and there's places where there's vampires, and um, that's a big uh, that's a big difference. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would say this one. Uh, there is, in fact, notes. Oh my goodness! There's notes on the original group. The original group was hired by the people of Hedgehog, consisted of four men, two human fighters, an elven magic user, and a dwarven cleric. Of these, only the dwarf survived. <laughs> Does it say levels there? Um, well, it says he survived, and he's found in a room inside the adventure, and here are his stats. Uh, he's got 14 hit points. <laughs> It, does, it doesn't give a level. Does it ever say the level to anything? No, there it is. There it is. I found it. I found it. Level two. He's okay, level okay. two. He's level two, Dan. Okay. How the All hell right. did okay. he go in? Okay. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Not surprising so, that so, uh, when you've got like level draining whites and such in here, that uh, level two maybe is a little low for this one. You know, you know the other thing I'm thinking here, of. I, you know, so so there's definitely there's some higher. I guess that's about raves, whites, werewolves. That's about as tough as this one gets. Got it. Got it. I mean, I feel like yeah. there's also an instinct initially of, uh, you know, the the core books of D and D didn't even suggest. Well, uh, it didn't give very good guidelines uh, for supporting starting out with higher level characters. 
So mm-hmm. I think that there was a, a lot of instinct of here's a module. Well, just without we're not going to say anything about it because you make all your characters at first level. That's what you always always do. Um, so perhaps that was part of the uh, part of the intuition of the time. You know, we don't need to tell you levels because it's always first level. It's always first. <laughs> I don't know. This would be a tough one at first level. Although I think this module. Um, like many others of the time, I think especially like the old stuff, like really leans heavily into some of the weirder stuff that you were talking about, which is maybe what they expect from their traditional haunted house module of strange puzzles, illusions to deal with, right? Like tricks and traps that are things that that doesn't really matter what your stats are, right? If you can puzzle out the solution, you can puzzle out the solution. I feel like that's maybe why that's seen as such a traditional thing um i don't know i don't know let's jump forward a little bit i mean so there's um you know i we we keep mentioning ravenloft but if before we get there i think we we have to talk about um amber a uh, castle amber right and that's that's x2 right it's gotta be is that mm-hmm. lower level there i'm looking at it right now uh, Character level six mm-hmm. so the x is uh, indicates that it's for the moldvay cook uh, expert set um, so you're mm-hmm. going to be, you should be at least fourth level or higher by the time you get here. And, um, and I will say this. So if, um, uh, uh, the house on hangman's Hill is saying there's a dearth of haunted house adventures, uh, and that's being published in 1981, 1981 was a boom year for classic D and D haunted houses, because you get house on hangman's Hill, you get castle Amber here was published in 1981. And so was the sinister secret of salt marsh. So now 81 was, was a specifically a banner year for haunted houses, apparently. Um, and uh, I'll say, you know, focusing on, on Castle Amber, I, it's actually, I'm somewhat embarrassed to say, of, the, of all the things we're talking about, it's the one that I've actually run myself. And I have really fond memories of it. It's, I think it's really, you know, it, it's, it's weird and it's early D&D, so it's weird in some ways, but it's written by Tom Moldvay. Who you know? Yep. I, who we adore? Who has you know one of the our favorite editions of D and D of all time? Of course, so tasteful. Um, you know, such great decisions on on rules mechanics. And so what he did here, of course, is that it's you know Castle Amber is largely inspired by the Clark Ashton S- Smith story cycle around Avaronway, and. Um, uh, so, so you have this, you know, you have this spooky, misty, ghosty castle you get into that you get trapped in, and then that's just the start of it. And it, very, very weird things are happening, and then things get weirder because you wind up getting catapulted into uh, another world. It's the, another magical fantasy world based on the stories of Clark Ashton Smith, and basically every scenario there is directly inspired by one of Smith's stories. So it's kind of a wonderful tour de force of Clark Ashton Smith stuff. And then it gets even weirder at the end. So I had a lot of, I had a, a lot of, uh, I had a lot of, I have a lot of fond feelings of running people through Castle Amber in the day. And I think it's, I think it's a great, you know, tight, concise, a lot of, a lot of great stuff in there. Excellent. Excellent. And, and do we have ghosts? Is is the is our do we have a primary villain that is incorporeal and impossible to touch or? Well, like I say, not not so much. So you've got the um, you know you've got the initial setting of the the ghostly mansion 
the 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 castle mm-hmm. amber itself that you get trapped in and you're trying to find a way out and you know in, in some ways a little bit similar to Tegel manor there's a there's a family that's become corrupted and some of them are ghostly or confused or insane frankly um and you're you're dealing with that and then you 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 know maybe you think there's going to be a master villain and then things get even more deeply weird than that as you get catapulted into Avaronway. And to me, that feels very, I mean, to me, that feels very Lovecraftian, honestly, is a lot of HP Lovecraft stories start off and go, here is an enormously weird situation that we're dealing with. And then later on, you find out that there's a, an even worse twist and it's it's much worse than you expected to begin with. <laughs> so that's sort of what happens here is, you know, there's clear, there's a curse and uh, by the end of it, you know, your job is is ultimately actually to save somebody. There's so, there's there's someone in trouble that you need to save. And ultimately, that's where the problem comes from. So it winds up curveballing back around uh, on you. And I like that. I feel like that's right. I feel like that's right for a ghostly Halloweeny mystery that it comes back around on you and becomes, you know, weirder than you expected to begin with. So I kind of like that about X2. Interesting. I feel like that's the we're going to see that a fair amount of a of a, a haunted house that's not really haunted, right? Like that's there was uh, just some comments in the chat just now about uh, a Secret Salt Marsh, where the haunted house, of course, mm-hmm. spoilers, everyone, not actually haunted, <laughs> right? What uh, I've been run this one myself. I've read it. Dan, have you run Secret of Salt Marsh? I have not, and uh, um, I have not. I've had I've had friends that that ran through it uh, and enjoy it, and of course, you know, Salt Marsh. You either love it or you hate it. I think I think there's there's great, great, great passionate love for Salt Marsh in some camps, and it's frequently mm-hmm. at the top of like you know favorite modules of all time. And then there's there's some people that are not fond of the fact that um, that uh, the, the haunted house is a hoax. And uh, mm. some people have referred to it, I think rightfully as the, uh, the Scooby-Doo D&D adventure. Um, <laughs> and, it, and uh, uh, you know, interestingly, it's, it's you know, co-authored, so it's written by people in the UK. I kind of like the initial setting information, honestly. I kind of like that that Dave Brown and Don Turnbull did. And interestingly, being co- co-authored by Don Turnbull, you know, Turnbull working in the UK is one of the earliest guys that reviewed Tegel Manor, I noticed. So oh. um, so, so Turnbull reviewed Tegel Manor in White Dwarf number three. Uh, and at the time he said, I have been fortunate enough to play through this scenario, Tegel Manor, and found it enjoyable. Not wildly suspenseful or nail-bitingly exciting, but a novel change from the more familiar dungeon setting. So here's Turnbull turning around and doing the same thing and going in an entirely different direction instead of Tegel Manor's completely just bonkers off the wall, crazy ghosts everywhere. Um, uh, Turnbull's take on it was, aha, it's a hoax. (laughs) 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 It's it's fake. (laughs) <laughs> and for and for me i so I've, I've stayed away from salt marsh because honestly that's not my fondest gesture i, f- I feel like if i'm playing D I expect you know if the if the promise is is you know ghosts and supernatural stuff then my my take is that that ought to be what's delivered 
and to turn around and go, I'm in a world with magic and ghosts and undead, but in this particular case, aha, it's a, it's a Scooby-Doo trick. <laughs> uh, it's, that's not my favorite gesture. So honestly, I've stayed away from it. Am I off? How do you feel yeah. about that, Paul? Would you be willing to, to, to run that? I, I would. Um, I would run that. I, I, I feel like I don't, I don't mind the aha, it's a trick. Um, I think that's, that's amusing. And especially for a setting where, um, you know, where the players are, where we're doing, like, I could see it more easily integrate into standard D&D, right? Like, I always feel that, like, doing doing the weird haunted house thing is great for, like, one-shots. But if you're doing it in a campaign, it's this very odd disconnect of, like, we're adventures, we're fighting goblins and orcs, and we're getting treasure, and, oh, no, then we're, now we're going to go investigate this spooky haunted house where we can't do anything about it. So I think, I almost think the Scooby-Doo setup works better with those kinds of characters, uh, those more adventuresome characters who, who want to go and debunk it and go, oh, no, turns out not haunted at all. You silly peasants. <laughs> and let me throw up a, a chat message from Joshua Macy here, uh, whose point is, uh, I think if ghosts and supernatural things really truly exist in the world, then it's a more plausible trick. I guess that's a good argument. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. There you go. I guess that's a good argument. If you can look, you know, normally ghosts, you know, are are 10 hit dice and you can't affect them and they just kill you by aging immediately, then I guess that would be more um, fodder for people staying away, except for our completely lunatic uh, player characters who, who's, who, stumble, who stumble in just through, through sheer stupidity. <laughs> 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 let's uh let's jump forward here let's talk a little bit about uh the module the spooky ghost house module that was apparently so beloved that it spawned an entire game setting right like a whole right. uh right a whole campaign setting uh eventually came out of uh ravenloft and that's interesting i think ravenloft's interesting right because now we're going to twist it into dracula right like vampires but specifically very dracula vampires where yep this is their mansion this is where they live they're vampires. They've got their own family drama going on. Deal with it. <laughs> uh, and of course, now I, you know, I, so written by... I, yeah, go on. So so written by uh, Tracy and Laura Hickman, and of course, their whole... And they're, they're famous for Dragonlance and stuff like that. And um, uh, their, their whole take was that we're going to upend what... A traditional D and D adventure looks like at the time, and we're going to make it more like a novel. We're going to make it more narrative and more story based, and longer backstory and enriched, you know, characters. And so instead of these like two or three lines, like you get in Tegel Manor, or something like uh, you know you mentioned uh, pa Palace of the Vampire Queen, same style, yeah, right. Yeah. So Palace of the Vampire Queen has a lot of vampires, and there's many areas where it's like this area, mm, twelve vampires. Okay, in the next area, mm, 20 vampires, right? Um, and so here's the Hickmans saying, we, do, we don't want it like that anymore. We want it like a novel. And you're going to have one vampire who's going to be very detailed in great, great extent and uh, a very extensive uh, home setting where you have to find out and deal with, like you're saying, this whole gothic backstory. Um, and so very, very different than what came before. And they very much intend, intended 
to radically change what a D&D adventure looked like. Yeah. Yeah, even even so far as radically changing what the map looks like, right? Classically, Ravenloft has this fascinating, weird, uh, isometric perspective map, which looks amazing. Certainly, I remember buying mm-hmm. this module, opening it up, and thinking, oh my gosh, look how cool this looks. Um, I absolutely want to run this thing, and uh, is actually, unfortunately, a real pain in the ass. Yeah, that that was my, my impression. I mean, it's I gorgeous. Had it. it is gorgeous. It's beautiful, and, right? And not 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 very usable, I would argue. <laughs> I think we were talking just in the last week. I think one of our patrons on Discord was saying that they they like running Ravenloft and they had to completely remap it, which which seems to be a constant theme of like here's an interesting <laughs> haunted house adventure, and I've had to completely redrop the map myself in order to make it actually usable. So I can't remember who said that. I feel like just yeah. in the last week somebody somebody was pointing that out. <laughs> The the, yeah, the, the yeah. isometry is is interesting. And again, the first time I ever saw that, I was like, oh, I want all my maps to look like that. But it's both uh, brutal for uh, an amateur hobbyist to make. And it's arguably really super confusing to run, too. Yeah. Yeah, it's difficult. It's difficult. Uh, now, I definitely, I remember running this module um, when I was in high school. Um, I don't think we got very far into it. I think my players were of the type that they would rebel uh, against anything that even remotely was trying to push or influence them in a certain direction. So they immediately didn't give a crap about the the von Zarevich's and were just like, no, nope, who cares? We're going to go do our own thing. Screw these guys. I'm like, interesting. Okay. <laughs> All right. I guess so much for this module. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And I think some people were saying, you know, it might be, and we, we, we grapple with this a lot. That might be a good adventure. Uh, you know, again, maybe for Halloween as a one shot and you make a, a party that's, you know, pretty much doomed to die, frankly, uh, at a yeah. high level. And maybe it doesn't work quite so well in an ongoing campaign. Yeah, uh, although certainly Ravenloft is quite large. I don't think you're going to get through it in one session. Um, in fact, I remember a friend of mine uh, going to Gen Con one year, and they were doing, they tried to do an overnight, uh, uh, only at Gen Con do you see this kind of nonsense happening. I think they started at midnight or maybe 10 p.m. or midnight, and the goal was to run through the entirety of Ravenloft by the morning. And so they were just going to stay up all night, all-nighter, Ravenloft, go. <laughs> I got to respect that. I've, I, that's, I have very fond memories of similar stuff like that myself. I like, I, I like running. I actually like running adventures like that myself. I haven't done it in a while, but I, I got I, 100% kudos to that. Yep. So that. Uh, speaking of uh, modules based on classic gothic horror, um, one other thing I have to bring up, of course, is Death on the Reich. Uh, which is part of the um, uh, the Enemy Within campaign, which you may have seen uh, me run live here on the channel uh, with 10 Dead Rats. And the interesting thing about Death on the Reich, ostensibly it's all about traveling up and down the rivers of the Empire. Um, but right on the cover here, you can see this giant, creepy castle. Giant, spooky, creepy castle, which the players pass as they're going up and down the river multiple times. 
my own party were every time they saw it, they said, let's never go near that. Absolutely. Don't want to touch it. It's weird. It's creepy. It's gross. Don't go near it. And then finally ended up, you know, one way or the other having to go into the castle. Thank goodness, because literally half of this module is that castle. Like uh, the, the giant map that comes with this box set is of the interior of that castle. And um, the interesting thing is it definitely tries to give that very spooky, weird, gothic vibe. But in this case, again, spoilers, everyone, for uh, Enemy Within and Death on the Reich, um, it focuses more on um, chaos and mutation and um, an evil-hearted family who is experimenting on the local peasantry and ultimately culminates in essentially a, a Frankenstein story. So your your final boss room is got your classic you know lightning coming in the ceiling and creature laid out on the on the slab and and all that. Um. So so spooky, but not ghosts, right? Just you know the horrors of necromancy, I suppose. <laughs> great, great, yeah. Great. It's also something that um, I mean that's a theme that uh, you know the Ravenloft campaign setting leans into too, is they have a whole lot of. I think one of the what domains is, you know, owned by somebody Frankenstein analog. Um, so that's if you're going to go gothic horror, that's another you're just a couple steps away from that. So it's a good choice. That's a good choice. Do you feel that that fits with I mean, and again, I'm not someone that has played uh, Warhammer fantasy role play. Do you think that fits with the campaign world, Paul? Is that is that I, a better I fit think it than like pretty Ghost? well? I I I, th- I think so. Yeah, I mean, because certainly um, corruption, mutation, etc., are all very much part of the Warhammer setting. Uh, the Enemy Within campaign specifically is about that, about sort of how, like, yeah, there are goblins and orcs and beastmen in the woods, and that's terrifying. But what's much more terrifying are the dark secrets of the the gentleman who lives in 13b right like (laughs) that's uh yeah that is definitely much more up warhammer's alley so so getting into this like yeah there's this very corrupt uh noble family who never come out of their creepy ass castle and um you know stink of rotten decay and all the peasants are horribly oppressed by them like yep yep it's right it's right up right up warhammer's alley i think Nice. Um, nice. And but interestingly, when you get into the actual castle part of it, it's it's really surprising because so much of Enemy Within attempts to be this very story driven, right? Like there's secrets and secrets within secrets that you're unraveling, and lots of handouts and figuring out. When you get to the castle part, it turns into this very classic crawl kind of thing, right? Where you're room by room, there's just this giant castle that you can explore and. Assuming you broke into the castle, the the general populace of it is reasonably distracted, so it's reasonable for you to just crawl from room to room. Although you end up asking the questions of like, is really is the family just like hanging out, waiting for people to bump into them in the halls? Like it seems a little odd, but okay, maybe they're so disconnected from the day to day reality of running their their um, you know their 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 uh, <laughs> fiefdom that they they just do their own thing and that's fine. Certainly, some of them are just so weirdly mutated and 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 um and and mentally unstable that and maybe it makes sense that they just hide in their room and play with their horrific experiments and that's fine. 
Um, but it is surprising. It is, I think, a bit of a twist for anyone who's playing through it to realize, you know, we've gone from this very open-ended simulationist. Because Death on the Reich is also the module that gives us uh, river trading tables, right? We give the players mm -hmm. a boat and allow them to trade up and down the river. And so it becomes super simulationist for a while. And then now you're in a room-by-room -room crawl of this weird castle. So it's it's surprising. Uh, I think it's surprising to anyone who's read this to when they get to the part with the castle and they go, "Wait, what happened to this adventure? When did this adventure take this radical left turn? That's weird." Do you? Yeah. You're making me think. You know the um, and uh, before before I go on, actually, let me um, throw up. Uh, so Bacquius is uh, pointing a link in the chat right now. If you do want to see the Ten Dead Rats gang, definitely not go into this big spooky castle. <laughs> you can see, you can so you can watch that in season three and see exactly what Paul's doing about talking about the, grappling with the change in dynamics um, that's on the table. Is I've had you know I've had the same issue in my last big D and D campaign actually of. You know, I have a world and then I have, you know, a mega dungeon in the middle of it. And my players really didn't want to go into it. My players really yeah. uh, avoided and disliked and were saying, like, I really hate the Like, I really hate this place and I hate being here. And I didn't uh, I honestly didn't intend it to be such a big deal. But at some point they traded um, they traded receiving information for accepting a Gaius to uh, procure a particular artifact in the mega dungeon. So that actually wound up driving a, a rather extensive period of adventuring in the mega dungeon. But my players were griping the whole time that they absolutely hated, <laughs> they actually, they absolutely hated being in the mega dungeon. So is that a, is that a common thing to like have a, have a, have a, you know, open D and D campaign world and then have a dungeon type thing and then have the players actually really want to avoid that particular aspect? I don't know. Maybe, or maybe it's just maybe it's just the bias of the people we play with. Um, but uh, I've definitely, I've definitely hit that um, right. Right, like when I read Stonehell, I was super into Stonehell, and this this is such a cool, uh, you know, best mega dungeon I had read, and I was like, I want to play this. And the first thing I did was I just dropped it into my campaign world because that's generally what I do mm -hmm. with content I like. I'm like, boom, Stonehell exists. It's here, and it's you know tied into the plot of the world in these ways. And yes, my players occasionally poked into it and they just found it so overwhelming that they hated it. And they were like, don't want to go in there. Don't just avoid it. Don't do it. Um, just, I don't know. Um, fascinating, I think. Maybe it's, you just need the right player types maybe or going with the right mentality. I've definitely also then since tried to run a campaign where I said, let's embrace it. Let's work on a play mm -hmm, Stonehell. Mm -hmm. That's the point of this yeah, campaign is we're right. going to play Stonehell. Um, right. and, um, that, for whatever reason, that was one of those campaigns that I just, just didn't find its legs for me and just continually, okay. you know, never really got running. I would still love to do that someday, frankly, still love to do that. But I yep. feel like I need buy-in from the players up front because otherwise I think, yeah, they're gonna rebel and not just not want to do it. And I feel the same way sometimes about, you know, big adventures like uh, Rap and Athic or, you know, even the, uh, the, the, the classic Drow Underworld by Gygax, actually. There's a lot of times that I feel like I kind of want to run, um, you know, a, a dedicated adventure in that situation. And I fear 
know, I fear sometimes maybe that's not the way that the legacy has turned. And, and I'll even say, like, now I'm remembering some anecdotes that, that Gygax would give of, you know, he had this super extensive underworld connected to the whole Drow series, and he'd sketched out this whole underworld. And according to him, his players uh, got into the vault of the Drow and were more or less like, nope, no, we are not, no, <laughs> We are not dealing any of this. We are we are out of here. And uh, you know his very famous Isle of the Ape, which is basically a you know a, a King Kong analog. Similarly, and I you know I I ran that uh, for people that we knew in Boston. Uh, and uh, again, his super high level, incredibly hard, just murderously difficult. And his you know his top players got onto the Isle of the Ape and were like, nope, <laughs> we're out of here. <laughs> <laughs> so so apparently there's a there's a long uh respected tradition of our canonical uh peak challenges uh being just refused <laughs> the offer being entirely refused <laughs> by perhaps possibly very wise players so maybe yeah, those are yeah. things you know again with the with the with the interaction between campaign play and um tournament adventure modules were most of the most famous things like the giants module and the slavers module and so forth incredibly difficult which works great in one shot tournament type situations has difficulty interfacing with a long running campaign where the players can go no thank you <laughs> yeah it's interesting i don't know i i wonder is it is it really that i mean the other thing i can equate this to and i'm just going to throw this out there because i'm trying to with a thesis here for this but when i ran 10 dead rats i started with the content from the enemy within which is a, a massive campaign for warhammer it's full of detail it's super long people love it and um and so i think a lot of people approach it with like i really want to run the enemy within i super want to run this we're going to play it from you know beginning to end and i could see how players might nope out of that and in, in 10 Dead Rats, what I, the way I presented it was, uh, we're, we're going to start with this content because it's great. And then, um, but we're going to just use that as a hook. And as the moment you guys encounter other stuff that you're like, this is more interesting and you want to take that left turn, I encourage that. I want you to do that. And I will abandon the books the moment that happens. And it never quite happened. Somehow the players kept getting themselves pulled back into the main plot of Enemy Within. Like, they cared enough about the, the, the sequence of events or the content of the Enemy Within that they kept coming back to it. Um, you know, and again, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to steer them away from it, but I wasn't trying to steer them into it either. I was just saying, like, you guys can do whatever you want, but the, the, the content of Enemy Within was enough to pull them in and make them want to play it. Um, and I wonder if you... I wonder if you could do the same thing with a big mega dungeon. Could you do that with, say, Stonehell uh, if you built in enough background with hooks into Stonehell to make it enticing such that the players are like, yeah, it's just all the cool stuff's in Stonehell, so that's where we're going. I think some of us were talking about, uh, you know, using rumors wisely lately, and I think that, um, you know, uh, I think my initial pitch would be like, anytime you catch a player saying, boy, I really wish I had mm, an extra level or higher ability score or a wand of curing or something like that, drop a rumor about that being somewhere in uh, the dungeon, actually. 
Um, and that at least gives some kind of enticement to go get that particular goal that they're interested in at that moment. Oh, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. I mean, um, when I was running uh, my BX campaign, <clears throat> the long running goal of the party was to find a way to restore lost limbs because I was playing with the, the horrific uh, critical effects and no magic that could just deal with a lost limb. And so that was always their goal. It's like, how do we find and and I dropped many rumors about it and had many and, and in fact I had one possible solution to it was um something that was deep within Stonehell and they pursued that briefly. But they got to a point in Stonehell where it was maybe a little harder than the level they were at. And rather than say, Well, we're gonna go try to find another way to grind and level up a bit before we come back down here, they they were just like, Nope, this is not for us. Let's go let's go pursue one of those other leads. Got it. Got it. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, one thing, you know, one thing in, in a in a big D&D campaign that we deal with that is not not how stories normally work is the possibility of there being a place that's tough at this level and the players mm. go away and they interact in some other ways with the world and then they're at a higher level and they come back and they they just steamroll it. They just steamroll the supposedly <laughs> dangerous place you know possibly a haunted house is particularly mm -hmm. with classic D, D clerics you get high enough level just zap mm -hmm. just disintegrate all the undead under a particular level like you know whites or wraiths or at some point um have you ever had to have you ever had to deal with that like what happens particularly if you have like a haunted house that is mm -hmm. you know oh spooky and dangerous and undead and ghostly and stuff like that and you have high level characters come in and just say we're just going to boot stomp this have you ever, <laughs> have you ever had to deal with that in an ongoing campaign i no no i can't <laughs> say i've ever dealt with that in a regular dnd &D game i feel like i'm probably the type of dm who by the time they decided yep we're going to go and stomp this thing i would look at them and go you guys are just going to trounce this so uh, i'm going to change it I'm going to change what's in Got that it. haunted house now. Let's, let's adapt. <laughs> uh, but you know, what I immediately think of, honestly, is having watched you playing uh, Pool of Radiance. Because um, that certainly happens in computer games all the time, right? And and Pool of Radiance is interesting because there is some spooky, undeady, haunted portions of that game, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, totally. uh, like the library. You did that recently, right? You did the library. Yep. <laughs> or the uh, the the yep, or the Cadorna textile house was was the one that really had all kinds of ghouls and whites running around. Yep, yep, yep. And did you ever feel like it had a, a spooky haunted house vibe? Either of those locations, or were you just like, eh, it's just got tough. Well, I just, <laughs> I'm, <stop. laughs> I'm sure that you can. I mean, the thing about the, the, I got to say, the library was well constructed. It was it wasn't the most it wasn't the toughest thing I went through, but the library was almost totally abandoned. And you can you can go back and probably see a clip of my response because that caused the the you know the tension to rise. The fact that I was going through yeah. you know room after room after room that was basically empty, expecting something to jump out at me, and I got through the I got through the whole thing. I got through like several secrets I needed, and I'm going great. I'm done. And what I I'd gone in the back door, and scouted out what I needed to, and was like great. I got what I need. I got what I need. I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave through the front door. And the front door is the one place that's heavily guarded by a specter, which was the by far the highest undead that I'd seen to that point. So as just at the moment where I thought I was going to get my release of tension, it's like, great, 
I'm out of the library. Oh, good Lord, there's a specter right yeah. here that I have to fight that surprised me. Um, and I think that's, I, I mean, well that's designed. actually, in my mind, that's, that's, that, that is good video game design. I will uh, spoil yeah. it a little bit for you now since you've been through it already. Uh, you get jumped by that specter regardless of which way you leave the place. You, oh, that, okay. That encounter right. happens. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. great, great. Okay. <laughs> and I was totally thinking that was my, my own silliness, not, not going out the way that I knew was safe. Okay, great. Yeah. Thank you. Great. Oh. That, I, yeah, I, I like that design. I don't mind that design. I like that design, actually. The, and the fact that I it's got through it without it being level way, right? Maybe, yeah. maybe you didn't notice it in the text, but I believe it's presented in that way of like, you know, you, you've stolen the books from my library and I'm the ghost of the librarian. So you're going <laughs> to you're gonna get stomped now. Here we go. And that is a terrifying fight. But it's one of those weird fights, I think, where it's either you, it's either TPK or trivial. Like you get the right things out yes. at the right moments, yes. and you just stomp the crap out of that ghost, and you're like, "Oh well, okay, whatever. See ya, buddy." Uh, or, um, yeah, he just level trains the crap out of you, and you're you're, you're toast. I feel like I, I think that at least twice there's there's Gygaxian adventures where he has like some thieves follow you to the dungeon, right? Like, oh, if here's some adventures, think they're gonna go get a bunch of money follow you to the dungeon, hang out at the entrance of the dungeon with the plan of jumping you as you come out barely alive with your treasure, which is which is smart for the thieves, but, uh, you know, really super, potentially super, super dicey for the players. And, and just like you said, Paul, it's probably going to be uh, perfectly fine or TPK if that occurs. Yeah. So that's an interesting, uh, really scary to be truth be told, really scary event of like here you get jumped on the way out in a place that you didn't expect is a, is a really interesting design trope. That just that just, that just puts sends shivers down my spine just thinking about it. Frankly, <laughs> um, let me let me um, let me bring us back. We we've got just a couple minutes left, so I want to bring us back to the initial theme of this of this show with a comment here from uh, Elfiend. Uh, who says players also need a good reason not to just burn the haunted house down, right? What? So, and that's the disconnect. I feel it's like you, you nailed it, Elfine. That is the disconnect with haunted house plus D and D, right? Is at what point do the players just go either nope, not going in there, or do they say light it on fire or whatever, and just take some very practical, right? Like, isn't that, that's the trope sort of horror movies, right? Is that the people in the horror movies always make terrible choices? <laughs> You've got a group of players who are going to be wise about what they're doing, right? They're not going to just go, oh, I guess I'll go, you know, hide in the scary basement, right, and turn out all the lights. No, they're going to say, eh, light it on fire, you know, just burn it down. I'm with this place. I, I laugh because, of course, my personal longest running uh, character, uh, uh, Haragar the Cleric, um, who is who is the 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 dedicated defender of of his city uh, and cared nothing more about than that was you know sometimes you got to cut out the disease <laughs> so, so sometimes to save the body you got to cut off a limb and I'm willing to do that uh, if there's a particular threat in the city I will uh, my first choice was usually let's burn it down I would I usually start with that yeah. and then um, yeah. and then get uh, convinced to do something else. So I, I totally, I, I couldn't sympathize with that more. And that's why I actually like what you did with House on Hangman's Hill, if it, even if it wasn't part of the adventure, having the thing not actually there a lot of the time, 
I think I have a I think I have a post in the past on my blog actually about like I'm looking I need a reason why this dungeon hasn't been plundered in the last right. 500 years by all the other adventurers in the world. And so I have a list of uh you know reasons why maybe not everybody could get into there. Maybe it only appears once in a while under a full moon or it's on an island that rises once in a while or is a magic gate that only lets in low level players or something like that. So I think that's a that's actually a good in theme way of you know communicating why you can't just walk up on a on a normal day and burn it down. Yeah, no, I definitely like that trope. Uh, I think that's super fun of just and, and and you can also add a nice time pressure there of like what happens if we're still in the house when it disappears at dawn. Yeah, maybe you don't want to be there. Maybe get the hell out. <laughs> and admittedly, um, you know, as as it was said in the chat, you know, that does, you know, count counter across how D&D normally works. Of be, you know, being trapped in a place is frequently the thing that the players fight against the most, right? They really want to mm -hmm. resist that and I'm not surprised why they say no if there that's even a possibility. And you know why, you know, maybe those haunted house adventures are, you know, and the other thing about like, you know, a standard horror movie is almost everybody dies. Usually like maybe one or two people survive. So if that is the theme that you're trying to communicate, maybe that works better in a one-shot scenario than part of a campaign. Yeah, I mean, certainly the notes on my House of Hangman's Hill from the original author talks about how the original group only one character survived. Um, yeah, I don't, so, so, okay, is that, is that the thesis then of haunted house settings are a fun adventure for one-shots, but maybe not great for campaign play? Is that the, that the theory? I th I'm feeling that that's, I think, feel that that's a, a legitimate argument. That feels, that feels pretty mm. good to me. Unless you're mm. playing Salt Marsh, then it's not really a haunted house in the first place. And then that's different. Yeah. yeah. Or it's, or it's not really a haunted house, right? Or, or enemy within yeah. campaign where it's just right. chaos and mutation and not, not actual ghosts. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. All right. Dan, any final thoughts on how haunted houses? I think you know they're they're a nice addition to D and D. I think Bob Bloodsaw was uh, you know had a good instinct that they they they're something that uh, you'd want to see in D and D. Um, you know, not just the, the standard dungeon, but I, I guess you got to be tasteful about it. Um, it's certainly different, and if you are looking to bring in a horror theme where most everybody gets destroyed, you know, in a normal campaign, players would have the um, the authority to to say no to that. They get to refuse the offer. Offer. So, if you really want to dig into that kind of um, horrible thing, um, you know, maybe it does. Maybe maybe it does work best as a one shot, and then it would be great on Halloween. <laughs> on Halloween, why not? Uh, viewers, if you know of other haunted house modules that do it a little differently, uh, or you think uh, work really well at, at riding that line between um, you know spooky ghost story and uh, fantasy adventure uh, leave us a comment here in the youtube uh comment section uh, we'd love to hear from you maybe that'll spawn another discussion for uh down the road maybe next halloween who knows yeah definitely i had all, I had all kinds of notes i didn't even get to here about about stuff and, and such great uh, comments in the chat that already went by uh today and of course uh, if you're new to the channel remember that you can like follow and subscribe to us like paul said at the top of the show and we're on YouTube and Twitch and Twitter and Facebook and GitHub and TikTok. And we do have the handle Wandering DMs on all those sites. So follow us on your social media of choice and you'll get updates on future shows. If you prefer to listen to our pod, our, our show as podcasts uh, in audio only format, you can do so 
the podcasts are available on our website at wanderingdms.com, uh, or you can find them on various podcast carriers such as Google and uh, iTunes and Spotify. If you're listening to this show right now on one of those third-party sites, please take a moment to rate and review us on that site if it offers that option. Uh, that helps other users of that site find our show, and we really appreciate it. Yeah, we really do. And of course, big thanks to our patrons who support the show. And if you'd like to join them, please visit patreon.com slash wandering DMs. And among the features there, we have a private Discord server where we have constant conversations going all the time. And uh, we have after party chat every Sunday, and we'll be there in about 10 minutes, Paul and I, to continue the conversation. Uh, I personally want to get back to some of the chat comments that went by today that I found very interesting. And if you'd like to join us, uh, pitch a dollar into the Patreon and you can join us on our favorite part of the week, frankly, the after party chat on Discord. Um, so I think um, we're actually going to be, we're probably going to be off next week unusually. Is that right, Paul? That's true. Um, I unfortunately will be wandering up to a, a local game convention, Carnage on the Mountain, uh, up in Vermont. I'll be running a couple of games up there, and so we'll be too busy gaming to uh, be uh, here on the internet chatting with you all. Uh, but if you want to come join, uh, come check it out. It's a great, it's a great convention. Uh, I think it's called CarnageCon.com. Uh, look up their website. Um, it's a good time. And uh, frankly, my first time back to the convention scene post uh, lockdown. So uh, yeah. I'm nervously excited about that. Yeah. Yeah, I hope it's I hope it's a good time. Um, and um, uh, so, if you uh, need to uh, scratch your itch of wandering DM stuff, we have other stuff on the channel this week. I will be back tomorrow night, Halloween evening, uh, playing through Pool of Radiance. And last time, uh, the frightening thing, the thing that happened was that my internet service connection went down right in the middle of being lost. <laughs> in the mazy pyramid of Yarash, I believe. So I might not get out. Uh, so feel free to uh, tune in uh, tomorrow, Monday night at 11 Eastern time and see if I am permanently trapped in the teleporting maze or not. Eh? And they, there's, there's, a good, there's a good creepy Halloween theme right there. And, um, uh, and then I'll be back uh, the following Monday. And um, if you didn't see uh, Dan Cullen and I playing Book of War last Thursday, that was a great episode. It was a great fight that we had Thursday night uh, with a whole bunch of Halloween-themed goblins uh, and spooky-type monsters, and it kind of came down to an uncanny ending. It was completely freaky how the ending happened, so that was a great episode, and I hope people watch that. Um, so we will be live again uh, Sunday, November 13th. Uh, is that right? Um, yeah, so we'll be back uh, uh, November uh uh, 13th for our next uh, regular Wanderams. Paul, I hope you have a great time at the convention. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully it'll uh, spark some, some great uh, thoughts to talk about in the next show. Fantastic. We'll look forward to that. So join us again in two weeks for another thought-provoking discussion. We'll see you then. Bye, everyone.